time that we have. Lord, I pray that you would please allow this to be a time uh, where we could learn your word, study your word, and uh, be able to study the passage that's before us. Lord, I pray that you would use this in our lives to be able to not just learn the Bible, but to be able to apply it in the correct way. In your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Matthew chapter 22, and uh, we've been going through the book of Matthew on Wednesday nights for quite quite a long time now. Matthew's a pretty long book, and we hope you've been uh, learning and enjoying as we've been studying it together. And if uh, you remember last week in Matthew 21, we dealt with the fact that the Jews had rejected Christ, and not only Christ, but they had rejected the one who sent Christ, which is God. And, and if you remember, the, the Pharisees came and they, uh, they questioned the authority of Christ and the one who sent him. And then Jesus replied with two parables that we saw last week. Remember, we saw the parable of the two sons, uh, where one son, the father told the sons to go work in his vineyard. One son said, I go, sir, and didn't go. The other said that he would not go and afterward repented. And Jesus explained to them how uh, they had rejected the father in the same way that the son had rejected the father. Then we saw the parable of the vineyard, how... Uh, how the, the, the husbandmen had sent the servants and they killed the servants and then he, he sent the son and he said, they'll reverence my son, but they said, this is the heir and they killed him and that was a parable in regards to the rejection of the son. In Matthew 22, Jesus continues with the third parable and that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to deal with the, with, with the parable, of the first part of the chapter and the next week we'll deal with the, with the end of the chapter. In the end of the chapter, there's kind of a face down and it's the last face down between Jesus and the Pharisees and the religious leaders and they're kind of going back and forth and arguing and we'll look at that more closely uh, next week. But this week we'll be dealing with the parable there in Matthew chapter 22 and you got to understand the parable is in connection with the two parables parables that we saw in chapter 21. The, the, the verse divisions and the chapter divisions were added to scripture to help us be able to find references uh, quickly, uh, but they weren't there when the Bible was originally written. Matthew did not divide the book of Matthew into chapters and verses. So even though we started a new chapter, the context continues where Jesus is teaching about this, uh, the, re- the rejection of the Jews, and, and, and there's more to that parable than just that. Well, we're going to look at that. Uh, Look look at verse 1, Matthew 22 and verse 1. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Now, the parable is about this king who's having a royal wedding and his son is getting married and he sends servants out to bring guests to the marriage of his son and they would not come. And and I want you to understand what this parable is about. Keep your finger there in Matthew 22. Go with me to Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation Chapter number 19 should be fairly easy to find. It's the last uh, book in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 19. And look at verse number 6. Revelation chapter number 19. And if you look at verse number 6, the Bible says this, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude... Now, keep in mind that the book of Revelation is a, is, is, is a prophetic book. We're talking about end times prophecy. And he says, And I heard of, 
uh, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of the mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for... Make note of this phrase, and if you like to take notes or underline, I'd underline this phrase in your Bible. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. Do you see that? Now the Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. And... Uh, of course, we've, we've looked at it thoroughly in the scriptures that uh, John the Baptist said about Jesus, you know, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. So, the Lamb is Jesus Christ and it says, the marriage of the Lamb is come and His wife hath made herself ready. If, if you remember, and we're not going to take the time to look at it tonight, but in Ephesians, remember when we have that passage about husbands and wives and it talks about, you know, wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives. And remember when you get to the end, Paul says that it's, it's, a, it's a mystery. He says, I'm not really talking about husbands and wives because really I'm talking about Jesus and His bride, which is uh, believers as we, when one day when we are all raptured out of this earth and all believers are united, which is not now. Right now we are separated into local independent churches. But when we are all united, there's going to be what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the bride of Christ will be uh, united to her husband and there will be a great ceremony there. That's why it says in verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come and His wife has made herself ready. Verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. Make note of that because we're going to kind of come back to that thought later on in the parable. He says, And her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Okay, so the, the linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. So notice, those that are called, those that are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, those are blessed. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So go back to Matthew 22. There's coming a marriage supper of the Lamb. And you got to understand, the idea there is salvation. The idea there is that you and I will be uh, as the bride of Christ, as all believers united, we become that general assembly of believers, that church uh, up in heaven, we will be united to our uh, husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's going to be a great marriage ceremony. And that's what the Bible is referring to in Revelation 19. So in Matthew 22, when Jesus is teaching about this parable of the wedding of the son of a king, he's teaching about salvation, and he's teaching about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Look at verse 2, Matthew 22, verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king. Now, in the parable Remember, parable are, parables are illustrations. They are stories that are meant to illustrate for us uh, a, a heavenly truth. Some people say they're an earthly story with a heavenly truth. Uh, uh, so he's using a story to try to explain to us salvation. He says, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king. So the king in this parable represents God the Father. Which made a marriage, which represents salvation. The marriage supper of the Lamb which is looked at in Revelation 19. For his son. So the son in the story is a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there, there's a few, there's a couple lessons I'd like you to see in this parable. The first lesson is about the rejection of the Jews. Like we continued looking at last week, uh, the, the idea of the Jews being rejected as a nation, uh, continues on as Jesus explains this to the Pharisees. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, and sent forth his servants. Now who are the servants? 
The servants are the messengers. Now there's going to be, this parable is going to take, uh, uh, you know, place between the Old and the New Testament. And I'll, and I'll show you when that happens. But I want you to understand, the servants are always the messengers. But right now, those specific servants that he's referring to are the prophets of the Old Testament. He says, and he sent forth his servants. So if I were you, if you'd like to take notes where it's Bible study, you know, next to that word king there, I would uh, write an arrow and I would put, you know, represents God or, or God, if you feel comfortable doing that. And next to son... I would write an arrow and put, you know, this represents Jesus. In verse 3 it says, and sent forth his servants. This represents the prophets, the messengers that the king had sent. Now notice what it says. And he sent forth his servants to call them. Okay, who was he calling? That's the nation of Israel. So if you, if you feel comfortable writing your Bible, you like to take notes, I would write next to that, them there, Israel. So he sent servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. So they were invited to the wedding. But notice what the Bible says. And they would not come. Do you see that? Now you need to understand this. Whenever God rejects anyone, whether it's a nation or an individual, He always rejects them after they have initially rejected Him. The Bible is true when it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the Bible does also teach us that the Spirit of God shall not always strive with men. And after an individual or a nation rejects God and rejects God and rejects God, there comes a point where God rejects them. Now notice, He gives them another chance. Look at verse 4. Notice the word again. So it wasn't just He gave them one chance and then gave up on them. He says again, He sent forth other servants. So He sends more prophets saying, Tell them, tell who? Tell Israel, which are bidden. Behold, I prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed. And all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they, notice verse 5, But they made light of it. That phrase, made light of it, means they neglected it. They disregarded it. They did not see the value in it. They did not think it was worth their attention. And by the way, isn't, how, isn't that how it is today when we go out and preach the gospel to someone and they don't want to come? And they don't want to hear? And they made light of it? And they think, oh, that's just silly. Oh, that's not for me. Oh, that's for, that's for weak people. You're that religious thing. I, I'm an atheist. Or that, that's for someone else. And that's exactly what the Jews did with the, with the message of the prophets. But they made light of it and went their way. One to his farm, another to his merchandise. Is that not what people do when they reject the gospel? They're too busy with their jobs and their lives and their investments. They think it's silly. They made light of it. Notice verse 6. And the remnant took his servants. You might remember this from last week. The servants are the prophets. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully. And slew them. Remember the parable of the vineyard? He sent his servants and they killed one and they stoned another. It seems like Jesus was very upset with these people for uh, killing the prophets. Now, keep your finger there in Matthew 22. Let me give you some cross-references. Uh, turn over just one chapter to Matthew 23 and look at verse 29. The Jews uh, admitted to the fact that they had killed the messengers of God, the prophets. In Matthew 23 and verse 29... The Bible says this, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. This is Jesus 
preaching now to the Pharisees. He's going to have a showdown with them at the end of chapter 22 where they're going to be debating and he's going to win that debate. But then in verse 23, he, in chapter 23, he's done debating. Now he's just preaching at them. And, and, and we'll, we'll get into that in, in the next couple of weeks. But notice what he says. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say... Now he says, this is what you say, Pharisees. If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partaker with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, verse 31, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. So he's, he's preaching at them. He, they've already admitted that their fathers killed the prophets. So when he says, hey, the king sent you servants and ye entreated them spitefully and you slew them. He says, I'm talking to you, nation of Israel. Now, keep your finger there in Matthew. We're going to come back to Matthew. But go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians, towards the end of the New Testament, all of those T books are connected together. You got 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and then you got the book of Titus. So get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me give you just one more cross reference in, in regards to the, the Jews' persecution. Because I want you to understand this concept of the Jews' rejection. We, took, we dealt with it last week, but I want you to see it again. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And look at verse number 14. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 14. The Bible says, For ye brethren, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered. Now he's talking to the church at Thessalonica, which are Gentiles. But he's about to explain to them how they're similar to the church in Jerusalem. Because he says, For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as, or he's saying, in the same way, even as they have of the Jews. So here's what he's saying. He's telling the, 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 the church in Thessalonica, he's saying, you have been persecuted by your own countrymen, the people of your nation, in the same way that the church in Judea has been persecuted by the Jews. Look at verse 15. Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. So, the Apostle Paul is, is, is basically uh, railing these accusations, which Jesus Christ railed at them. They killed the Lord Jesus, they killed their prophets, and they persecuted, Paul says, us. So, you got to understand, the reason that the nation of Israel was rejected, because they first rejected God. Go to John chapter... Actually, don't go to John. Go, go, go back to Matthew. Let me just read this verse for you. John chapter 1 verse 11. You've heard it before. John 1 11 says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. So He came to them, but they did not receive Him. Okay? So what was the result of that? Matthew 22. Look at verse 7. Matthew 22 and verse 7. The result of uh, the Jews rejecting the gospel, rejecting the prophets, rejecting the Son. Matthew 22 verse 7 says this. Matthew 22 and 7 says, But when the king... Now remember, who's the king? That's God. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. Now, there's two applications there. First of all is this. Anyone who rejects the marriage supper of the Lamb. Anyone who says, I don't want to be part of that marriage. I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want salvation. Their, their destination will be destruction and they will be burned up. But, in a practical sense, he's talking about the Jews here, and he says, because they kept killing the prophets, 
he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burnt up their cities. And you remember from the Old Testament that God has sent the Assyrians and the Babylonians to go in and destroy the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and take them captive. And they took men like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They took them captive. And part of that reason was because they kept killing the servants of God. They kept killing those prophets that God was sending uh, to preach to them. So as a result, God rejected the nation of Israel... Now, when, when the Jews rejected the gospel, you need to understand something. It opened up an opportunity for all of us who are not Jews. For all of us who are Gentiles. Now, I want you to notice, we're going to cross uh, testaments here. We're going to cross uh, a line because up to verse 8, he's... He's talking about the servants and they're the messengers, but he's specifically talking about the prophets. In verse 9, we enter into what we would call the New Testament, you know, age or the New Testament time, the time that you and I believe in. Notice verse 9, he says, Go ye therefore, okay? Now that phrase, go ye therefore, out of already alert your ears to a New Testament concept, which we're going to see in Matthew. I mean, you're, you're there in Matthew 22, so just go to Matthew 28, the last chapter in the book of Matthew. The last thing that Jesus said, or one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended was this. Matthew 28, look at verse 19. Matthew 28 and verse 19. He says, Go ye therefore. Does that sound familiar? And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, here's why you have to understand why that is so important. And I know we're kind of going a little slow tonight. It, it, it's, it really is kind of more of a Bible study than, than preaching. But you need to understand this, okay? Here's what changed. When the nation of Israel was rejected, and we're going to look at it closely in the book of Romans in a second. When the nation of Israel was rejected... That doesn't mean that God made them all to the point where they could not be saved. Individual Jews can still be saved today. But what it means is that the nation itself was removed from being God's chosen people. Remember last week, and I'm not going to take the time to look at it. You can download the sermon from last week. But last week we saw in 1 Peter where it says that we are a holy nation, a peculiar people. And he says that he, that he, that he, that he called a people who were not a people. And he says he made them chosen, he made them a people, okay? So when the na- what the nation of Israel lost was not that they lost their ability to be saved. There have always been in- Jews who were saved and not saved, just like there's Gentiles who are saved and aren't saved. What they lost was that, that, that status of being God's chosen people. And here's what you got to understand. And here's what they really lost. You say, well, why were they chosen as God's people? There's only one real reason that they were chosen. Now, they got a lot of benefits with being chosen as God's people the blessings and all those things. But here's the reason that God chose a nation. And here's the reason that He gave him the oracles of God. And here's the reason that, that He chose Abraham, He chose descendants. Because that nation was supposed to then be that city on a hill and it was supposed to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The Jews were supposed to be uh, that lighthouse that then preached the gospel to everyone else in the world. But what happened is they got proud and they got proud in the status that they were chosen. And God gave us the oracles of God and God gave us the Bible and God, we are God's chosen people. And they started to think that it was something special about them. So here's what God did. He took that privilege of them. He said, you're no longer chosen. And what he took from them was the ability to preach the gospel and then he gave gave it to a new people, which are Gentiles. 
That's why that phrase, when he says, go ye therefore, it's so important to understand that the transfer from the Old Testament to the New Testament has been made. Because when Jesus said, it's always, it was always God, you know, what, what is so important about that great commission, that go ye therefore into all the world, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't mean that God now wants the Gentiles to be saved, and He didn't want the Gentiles to be saved in the Old Testament. God has always wanted the Gentiles to be saved. People say, well, God only wanted the Jews to get saved, and when they rejected Him, then He wanted the Gentiles. God, it's always been God's will that the, that the Jews and Gentiles would be saved. I mean, study the book of Isaiah with us on Sunday nights. God's preaching to the Gentiles almost more than He's preaching to the Jews. So it's not that the plan of God changed, but how that plan was going to be fulfilled changed. Because the Jews would not preach the gospel, so God says, I'm going to take that privilege from you, and I'm going to give it to another people. And he, and he gave what a nation should have done to individual churches to do, to Gentiles who were not a people, but are now the people of God. So when he says, go ye therefore into the highway, and as many as ye shall find, notice, notice Matthew 29, look at verse 9. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find. Now notice, these are different people. Then the people, then the first people. The first people were the nation of Israel. Now he says, as many as you should find, this is another people, bid to the marriage. Now I want you to understand because this is a really controversial subject with a lot of people. And, and today, you know, if you say anything against the Jews' religion, you know, you're a heretic and this and that. But the Bible is very clear about this. Go to Romans chapter number 11. Let me give you a passage to kind of uh, prove this. And like I said, we looked at some passages last week. But let me give you another passage to prove the point. And I want you to understand this. Romans chapter number 11. You're there in Matthew. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number 11. And we could read the entire chapter. I'm going to let you do that on your own. We'll begin reading at verse number 12 just for sake of time. But if I were you, I'd read the entire chapter so you can see the entire context. Although we're going to go through a lot of the chapter right now. Romans chapter number 11 and look at verse number 12. The Bible says, now if the fall of them, okay, now we're jumping into the middle of the text, so you need to understand, the fall of them, he's talking about Israel, he's talking about the Jews, he's talking about the fact that they fell, they were cast out, they were rejected, okay, so he says, now if the fall of them, talking about Israel, be the riches of the world, do you see that? And the diminishing of them, Israel, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. So here's what he's saying. Because the nation of Israel was rejected, because they were diminished, because they fell, that allowed an opportunity for the rest of us, Gentiles, the rest of the world, to be able to be blessed in the sense that we were then brought in to that covenant with God. Now, here's what you need to understand, okay? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if when they fell, it was a great blessing to us, he said, how much more their fullness? Now, look at verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. Now here's what you got to understand, okay? If Israel being rejected opened the opportunity of the, for the Gentiles, they were not rejected in the sense that they cannot be saved. And we're going to see that in a second. They are not going to be used of God as His chosen people as that vessel to reach the world, is what he's referring to. Look at verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I, notice what he says, I may provoke to emulation. That word emulation means jealousy. He said, if by any means I may provoke to emulation. 
uh, them which are my flesh. Paul was a Jew. So when he says them which are my flesh, he's talking about Israel. And might save some of them. So you see, the Israelites can still be saved. Okay, we're not saying that Israelites can be saved, but he's saying I'm, he's saying I'm, he's going to use the Gentiles to provoke them for emulation. Here, here's what you need to understand: the Jews were supposed to be used to reach the world, and they did not do that. They did that in a very small sense. There are very few Bible characters that we can look at that were reached. By the Jews for God. They, they are out there like Ruth. Uh, you know, they're out, there's different people in the Bible that, that were not Jews that converted uh, and began to worship Jehovah God as a result of Israel. But it, it was very few and far between. You, the, the Jonahs were very few and far between that reached out to the Gentiles. For the most part, they saw the Gentiles as dogs. For the most part, they got very proud and said, so here's what you understand. The Jews were supposed to be used of God as a lighthouse to reach the world, to reach the Gentiles, because the Gentiles is anyone other than a Jew. And what God decided to do was, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reject the Jews, and I'm going to choose a new nation. I'm not going to use a nation that's already established. I'm just going to bring in a bunch of different people from different nations, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. He said, I'm going to bring them all together, and I'm going to make a people of those which were not a people, and then I'm going to use those people to reach the Jews. You understand what he's saying? He said the Jews were supposed to reach the Gentiles, but they're not doing that. So I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and reach the Gentiles, and then I'll use the Gentiles to reach the world and reach the Jews while they're at it. Because notice what he said. If by any means, verse 14, I may provoke them, I may provoke to emulation. He says, if I can get them to be jealous, them which are my flesh, am I saved some of, some of them. Now notice verse 15. For if the casting away of them, okay, that's talking about Israel being rejected. If the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world. He said, if God cast away the Jews, if that allowed Paul to go out into the Gentile world and preach the gospel and start local New Testament churches, if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, of the world what shall the receiving of them be? Now, do you see what he's saying? He's saying, if getting rid of the Jews made such an impact on the world, he said, imagine if we can get them on board. What shall the receiving of them be? But life from the dead. Notice verse 16. For if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Verse 17. And if some of the branches be broken up. Now, he begins to use this analogy of this tree that had these natural branches representing the Jews. Because remember, the, the, the physical descendants of Abraham, they were the natural branches that had grown from that stem. They were, they were physical descendants. And here's what he says. He says, uh, verse, verse 17. And if some of the branches be broken off, talking about Israel, and thou, talking to the Romans, talking to Gentiles, and thou being a wild olive tree were graft in. That word graft means to insert into one tree or a plant a branch from another tree or a plant and allow it to grow from that tree. Do you understand that? I'm not, you know, a plant person, but that's what that means. And, and I don't know how they do that. You know, I think they like cut the tree and they do this surgery and I don't know what they do. They use crazy glue or something. But they take a branch. It, it'd be like if I had an apple tree and I took a branch from an orange tree and I put that branch into the apple tree and then that branch grew and, and, and produced fruit 
from that tree. He's saying, that's what happened with you and I. The, the natural branches of the Jews were broken off, and you and I, who are not wild, uh, natural branches, we're the wild olive tree, we're the wild branches, we were grafted in among them, and with them, partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Now here's what he says, and you've got to understand this. Look at verse 18. Because here's what happens. We start preaching things like this. So then we're like, those Jews, and they're so bad, and they're so this, and they're so that. You need to understand something about the Jews. They have a soul that's going to spend eternity in heaven and hell just like anyone else. And notice what he says, verse 18. Boast not against the branches. He's like, well, you got engrafted in. Okay, well, don't start getting arrogant about the fact that you got engrafted in. He says, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Here's what he's saying. You're not the root, you're the branch. You're lucky you got put into the root. He said, you're not the main attraction, Gentiles. It's not about you. Look at verse 19. Thou will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Is that true? The Jews were removed so that I might be grafted in. Verse 20. He says, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Remember, they did not want to come to Christ. That's why they were broken off. They were not broken off so that we could make room for you. The downfall of the Jews was that when they became the election, they got proud and they got arrogant. And they started thinking, I must be pretty big stuff if God would choose me. And God says, I can't use you. So I'm going to go choose another nation. But here's the problem that we have. Then the nation that was chosen starts thinking, well, I must be better than the Jews. And we start thinking, God removed the Jews to make room for me. God did not remove the Jews to make room for you. God removed the Jews because of unbelief. They were broken off, verse 20. And thou standest by faith. The only reason you got in is by faith. Not because you're great, not because you're good, not because you're better than anyone else. You are a sinner saved by grace through faith. That's the only reason anybody gets in. And thou standest by faith. So let me give you this advice. Be not high-minded. Don't look down on the Jewish people. They are going to go to hell. If they go to hell, it's because of unbelief. And if you go to heaven, it's not because you were born into the right family or the right religion. It's because you were grafted in by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. Verse 21. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest, thou also, lest he also spare not thee. Here's what he's saying. If God was willing to break off the natural branches, don't you think he'd be willing to break off you know, a grafted in branch. Now, we're not talking about losing your salvation. We're talking about having the blessing of being used of God, the vessel to reach the world. Before we start looking down too much on the Jews, we need, we need to understand, the Jews' religion is a false religion. They reject Jesus Christ, and when you reject Jesus Christ, you reject the Father. They are a false religion like any other false religion. And here's the two extremes that we have in Christianity today. We have the evangelical Christians that will look at Islam and say, it's wrong. And we'll look at, you know, Buddhists and say, it's wrong. And we'll look at the Hindu religion and say, it's wrong. But then they'll say, but the Jews, you know, they're a God-chosen people. And that's wrong. They're a false religion like anyone else. But then we have this other extreme that wants to think that the Jews are worse than anyone else. They're not worse than anyone else. They're not worse than you. They're going to die and go to hell just like you would die and go to hell if it wasn't for faith. Do you understand that? Let's not think they're better, but let's not also think they're worse. They're just unbelievers that need the gospel. Because... If he spared not the natural branches, they keep lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God, verse 22, 
on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief. Now notice this. If they abide not still in unbelief. If the Jews say, I'm, remember we talked about it last week, I'm going to repent, not of sin, but repent from unbelief to belief. If I'm going to turn from not believing to believing, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is, also, God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So we have a lesson about the rejection of the Jews. Why were they rejected? Because of unbelief? Because they would not accept the messengers, they would not accept the message, they did not want to go to the wedding. So God rejected them and He chose another people. He chose another nation. But before we start getting too proud and thinking that we're something special, let's remember that the only reason we're engrafted in is because of faith, and the only reason they were taken off is because of unbelief. And if they abide not still in unbelief, they can get grafted back in just like anyone else. They're not better or worse than everyone else we're all on the same level. If anybody goes to heaven, it's by the grace of Jesus Christ. Go back to Matthew 22. So we find the lesson about the rejection of the Jews. But we also find a lesson about the redemption of the lost. And I'm going to have to do this in the next ten minutes. A lesson about the redemption of the lost, for those of you that are taking notes. In verse number four of the Parable. Notice what he says, Matthew 22 and verse 4. He says, again, he sent forth other servants. Remember, those were the more, more of the prophets. He sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them, which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen is, and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. Now remember, the marriage is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's salvation. It's the fact that you and I get to go to heaven. We go to heaven and we get married to Jesus Christ. Okay. Now here's a lesson on the redemption that is given to believers. He says, all things are ready. So today when people say, well no, no, no. In order to be saved, you've got to believe on Jesus Christ, yes. But you also have to repent of your sins. No, incorrect. All things are ready. You don't have to bring anything. He says, look, just come. He says, tell them, which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed. And all things are ready. Do I have to repent of my sin? All things are ready. Do I have to keep living a good life or I'm going to lose my salvation? No, all things are ready. Do I have to go to the, uh, get baptized? No, no, no. All things are ready. He says, I worry not at all. You just got to come. That's what salvation is. And people get this idea. Well, I got to repent of my sins and one I'm saved. I got to live a good life or he's going to take it away. And I got to do this and I got to do that. Look, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is come. He says... All things are ready. Notice verse 9. Salvation is not dependent on how good or bad you are. I, I love this phrase. Says, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. So those servants, now the servants now were in the New Testament, right? Go ye therefore. So it's still the messengers, but in the Old Testament it was the prophets, in the New Testament it's the soul winners. He says, so those servants, the soul winners, went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found both, notice, they found both bad and good. I love that. You know that bad people get saved like good people do? And they're not out looking for good people, and they're not trying to make the bad people good, and they're not trying to make the good people better. They, they just go out and find anyone that will listen, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. Why? Because salvation is not dependent on how you live your life. 
Salvation is not dependent on the fact that you dress the right way and you do the right things and you go to church and you got your little checklist and I did this and I put on this clothing and I did what I was supposed to do and I'm better than someone else because I repented of my sins and I don't do that anymore and they still do that and I'm saying, look, you are basing your salvation on how good you are. The Bible says, hey, go find bad, good, I don't care. Go find unbelievers. If they're willing to hear, invite them to the way. Now notice verse 11. And when the king... This is God. Came in to see the guest. This is at the wedding. He saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. Now, let, let me just explain something. People, people want to get really wrapped up into these, these things. And, 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 and you can take parables and, and, and have a lot of issues. You need to understand this when you study the Bible. The Bible cannot go against its own context. Okay? And if you find a passage that seems to go against everything else that the Bible says, you're probably misinterpreting that passage. Now, you need to understand something about parables. A parable is an illustration. It's meant to help us understand something. Someone said this, an illustration is like a good truck. It'll get you where you need to go, but it is eventually going to, you know, begin to break down. Okay? And any illustration, when you take it far enough, it begins to break down. So, the Bible is not teaching here that people, some people are going to get to heaven and then get thrown out of heaven. Okay? That's not what he's teaching. But he's trying to make a point about salvation. Now, notice what he says. And when the king, that's God, came in to see the guest... He saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. Okay, now remember, what did they have to do to come to the wedding? Did they have to do anything? No, all things were ready. Did they have to bring anything? No, all things were ready. Did they have to be good or bad? Hey, he said find good, he said find bad, he said invite them. But there was one catch. They had to have on a wedding garment. And when the king, verse 11, came in to see the guests... He saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called and few are chosen. Now you may be asking, well, what is that, what is that wedding garment about? Let's just quickly go, go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61. And we'll, we'll allow spiritual things to define themselves. I have five minutes. We can finish this in five minutes and be out of here on time. Isaiah 61 in the Old Testament. You should know where it's at. We've been preaching through the book of Isaiah for like 16 weeks now. Isaiah chapter 61. What is that wedding garment that God expects you to have? Isaiah 61 and verse 10. The Bible says this. Isaiah 61 and verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord... Isaiah 61 and verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath, notice this, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decked himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorned herself with her jewels. Okay, now that righteousness, and we could go through and, and, and look at a lot of passages. I'm not going to take the time to do that. Go, go back to Romans chapter 10, just real quickly. That righteousness, remember he said, He hath clothed me with the garment of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Throughout the Bible, you find this illustration that salvation is like this garment that you put on. Now that righteousness is not my righteousness. It's when I put on the righteousness of Christ. Do you remember the Old Testament? Remember Adam and Eve? Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, and because of their guilt, they, they, they found that they were naked? And what did they try to do? They tried to cover their nakedness.
did this and they, they made an apron of leaves, the Bible says. And remember when God came down and met with him, he said, that apron of leaves, that's not going to work. Because here's the thing, they made that apron of leaves. Adam and Eve went out, picked out the leaves, put them, you know, so, I don't know how they did it. They sewed them together and they made themselves little aprons. And God says, no, 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 that doesn't work. You cannot cover yourself by your own work. You cannot go out and find something and work at it and cover yourself. And if you remember in the story, God, for the first time in the history of the world, kills an animal. Sacrifices an animal, which represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And he takes the skin off that animal and he creates clothes for Adam and Eve and he clothes them. And that's a picture of salvation in the sense that our false religion, when people say, I'm saved because I repented of my sins, I'm saved because I, I live a good life, because I, I'm not gonna, I don't, you know, I could lose my salvation, but because I'm so good, because I do all these things, I'm saved because of me, 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 me. God says, okay, well, you're trying to clothe yourself in your own righteousness. He says, but you, what you need is to be clothed in the sacrifice of the Lamb and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You find that concept from Adam and Eve all throughout the Bible. Now notice Romans chapter 10, look at verse 3. Romans chapter 10, verse 3. For that they, Romans 10.3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. That's everyone who says, I'm saved because of what I did. I keep myself saved because I'm so good. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. See, look, when you get to heaven, you're either clothed in the righteousness of God or you're clothed in your little apron of leaves that you want to make, Adam. But you, but here's what you understand. At the wedding, if you don't have the wedding garment on, you get thrown out. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter. You bring your little potluck to the wedding and you bring your little meal and you say, well, listen, king, I know that you said that the wedding was free, but I brought... And he says, no, everything is ready. I don't need anything from you. Well, that guy's not that good. It doesn't matter. Good or bad. All that matters is this. Are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Look at verse 9. Because of all that, go ye therefore into the highways and as many as you... As, as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So the servants, those are the soul winners, went out into the highways and hedges and gathered into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. You know what I think is funny? Is that God gives us one command. One command in the entire Bible. He says, I want you to go into the highways and I want you to compel them to come in. I want you to go find people as many as you can, bad or good, Gentile or Jew, it doesn't matter. I want you to go and I want you to bid. The word bid means to call, to invite. He says, I want you to go and I want you to bid them to come in. And you know what's funny about that? Is that the one thing that God does us do is the one thing that churches refuse to do. He didn't say go out and feed the homeless. He didn't say go out and clothe the orphans. He didn't say go out and provide a Thanksgiving meal for people that are low income. Now look, there's nothing wrong with doing any of that. But he said to do one thing. Go out into the highways in another passage. He says highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Not the church, but heaven. And the one thing that he tells us to do, churches say, I'm not going to do that. You want me to go out where? You want me to go on the street, on the highways, and the hedges? A hedge, you know, be a pathway? You want me to go out into the streets and invite people? That's the one thing he told you to do. 
No, no, no. Well, what we see, what we do is we, we give homeless people food. Well, that's all well and good. But feeding a homeless person food doesn't save their soul. Preaching the gospel to someone, inviting them to be saved, that is what God has commanded us to do. So the question I have for you is, do you take part in that? When's the last time you bidded someone to come to the marriage with Jesus Christ? When's the last time you went to somebody and you said, Hey, listen, God is inviting you to the greatest marriage ceremony ever. The marriage supper of the Lamb. You're invited. And when they say, Well, you don't understand my past. I'm so bad. You can say, Hey, hey, good or bad, they're invited. Well, you don't understand. I don't have anything to bring. I don't have anything. You know, I, I'm such a bad person. And you say, You don't have to bring anything. It's been prepared. The, the, the sacrifice has been done. It's free. All you have to do is come. Here, put this coat on. Let me clothe you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is come. When's the last time you invited someone? That's the only thing he's left us. And it's fine to feed the homeless and clothe the orphans and do all those things. But more than clothing people that are cold, let's clothe them with the righteousness of Christ. And that's what Jesus is teaching to the Jews. He's saying, this is what you refuse to do. You got proud and you got arrogant. I sent my servants and you wouldn't listen. So I'm going to choose another people. I'm going to choose another nation, which were not a people. And I'm going to use them to reach the world. And I'm going to use them to bring you to jealousy. So hopefully you'll wake up and then you'll get engrafted back in. But then he looks at us and he says, make sure you do what I told you to do. Make sure you don't start getting proud and thinking that you're something special. Because the only reason I rejected them is because of unbelief. The only reason I chose you is because of faith. And the only thing I want you to do is invite people to the marriage of the Lamb. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father. We thank you for allowing us to be able to study your word. And Lord, I pray that you would please bless the message. Lord, I pray that you would bless uh, the time that we have. Lord, I pray that you would help our church to always, always, always keep the main thing, the main thing, which is inviting people to the marriage supper of the Lamb, where they can be married to Jesus Christ. He'll never divorce them. He'll never leave them. He'll never forsake them. Father, I pray you'd help us to always have a heart for reaching people. In the precious name I pray. Amen.